Remember when we were told by the vaccine manufacturers and health officials that the COVID mRNA vaccines were going to say local into the site where it was injected and not spread throughout the body? If so, why is it showing up in breast milk? Let's talk about it. Hey everybody, it's Dr. David. Hope you're having a good day. Um, as you know, I have been on the forefront of the conversation of the COVID vaccines from the very beginning. Um, I had was invited and had spoken in front of the FDA, the authorization, the emergency authorization committee that made the recommendations on three different um presentations. Uh, the first one that I talked about when the first Pfizer vaccine came out, I was talking about vaccine hesitancy from the very beginning and how transparency needed to be there if they wanted to have the faith of the public. Okay. And if they weren't providing the information that things would go south and there'd be a lot of hesitancy and a lot of antagonism towards it. And guess what? That's exactly what we saw. And even though I gave them kind of a blueprint as to what the things that they could do to try to prevent that from happening. Okay. Um, of course, one of the things that I, the second one that I talked about um, was really the need for more research that the amount of research that was being used, um, especially in children in terms of the different age groups, because they broke it down by age groups. And there were not a lot in each age group in order for us to have any type of definitive um, data in order to make the best decisions that a parent could make along with their healthcare provider as to whether this was a safe thing to do. It was more about the safety, okay? And then of course, I also talked about the value in healthy kids in the first place. It was well known by the time that the COVID vaccines had started to come out that the impact on children was much less severe than what we were seeing in adults. That was known from the very beginning. That's why there wasn't a lot of concern in my pediatric population. Yeah, kids got sick, but we weren't really seeing, you know, there was the rare MISC, the, 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 the big time inflammatory conditions that could happen from it. But those in kids were very, very rare. Okay. And those were the things that I talked about and shared um, my thoughts were and, you know, was publicly presented and all that. Um, and, you know, you know, it seems like a lot of that stuff does seem to have uh, held true. So, you know, I mean, obviously, my job as uh, somebody who's a scientist, somebody who's been through med school, who knows how to read papers, and to assess both public and private healthcare concerns and benefits. This is what I do for my career. And so I felt it was really important for me to share not just with my patient population, not with just you here on this channel, but also with the, the population at large and for the, uh, for the committee people to hear my thoughts about that. Um, now, I never did um, endorse doing mandates of vaccines. I never did endorse um, universal vaccination for all people. I had always talked about the potential benefits and the risks in high-risk populations and letting people individually choose or parents choose what they thought was in the best interest of themselves or for their children. Okay. Now, again, by talking about those risks and benefits, I did share the reasons why I chose to take the COVID vaccine due to some of my health conditions, as well as my, uh, my parents' health conditions and my concern, not just to myself as being somebody who doesn't have a spleen because from my past um, surgeries, when I had my pancreatic tumor that was removed and thank God it's okay. But also the fact that my mom was dealing with um, ovarian cancer and chemotherapy and my concern about giving her that. So every case is different. Okay. So that was something. Now, if you remember, and you're going to see here in this um, image here, okay, that so messenger RNA and what that is, is so um, DNA in our natural DNA 
as you may know, it's a double helix. And when it opens up, it's then red. And the DNA is turned into messenger RNA or mRNA. And then messenger RNA is then red and turned into proteins, which can include antibodies, digestive enzymes, muscle proteins, all types of things. But that's the general way that it would go. And what the vaccine was for the first time being used in a mass population, something what was called a nano encapsulated um, product. So they took the messenger RNA and they wrapped it and they surrounded it in these very small lipid, these fat, um, like little granules, capsules that were actually, that was what was being injected. Um, and then once it was injected into the body, as you can see, it was then these fats, because fats mix with fats. Remember, oils mix with oils, oils and waters don't mix. So when these little tiny lipid molecule um, particles, these capsules would hit the membrane of the cell where it was injected, then they it would it would merge, and then the messenger RNA would be released into the into the cells. Okay, and um, in this particular case, the um, it was the specific messenger RNA that would make the spike protein of SARS-CoV-2. Okay, and then this will be released into just the general liquid space inside the cells called the cytoplasm. Okay, now once it was read and turned into the amino acid group, and it formed the spike protein, and the spike protein would then, once it was made, it would then re-enter and approach the cell wall, actually the membrane, and it was supposed to screw in an anchor there and st and then stay there. It wasn't supposed to leave. It was supposed to stay there. Again, this is a spike protein, okay? Now, once that spike protein was, was shown to the immune system as a foreign substance, the body would make antibodies towards it, eventually make um, white blood cells that attack it, and that's how the immunity would be obtained. But again, we were told that it would stay just in the muscle site um, where it was injected. Okay. Now, within the first year of um, of doing of messenger RNA, remember this, we, while it was done in from very small amounts, like for Ebola virus, I, I think it was, but we had never given messenger RNA to millions and millions and millions of people. Um, it was an emergency authorization. I totally understand why there was a fast tracking. If you remember, there were 10,000 people dying at some point with COVID. And in New York, we know how terrible it was. So it's not like we were dealing with a little nothing here or a rare thing. This was something that was dropping people like flies. And so I understand the reason to move forward with it. But of course, with haste decisions can come unpredictable outcomes that you just can't know about despite what we are being told. Now, um, as far as this is concerned, you know, once it started to be putting out to the mass populations and not just the people in the study, side effects started being reported. Okay. Um, and of course, within that people were, you know, since there were, again, we started hearing about the myocarditis. How was an injection happening in a person's arm? giving an inflammation of the myocarditis, right? One possible possibility here is that it wasn't just staying in the muscle where it was injected, but it was maybe going elsewhere as well, okay? So this brings us to the new study, okay? And really the question is really just that. If the messenger RNA stays local to the cell, why would it be showing up in breast milk of a lactating woman who was given the vaccine. Now, in this particular vax, um, study, this was done at the New York University Long Island School of Medicine, okay? And it was conducted by their neonatologist, neonatology team, their laboratory team, as well as their pharmacology team. And what they did is they had breast milk samples for 13 people who were given a vaccine while they were lactating. And there was actually um, 20 exposures. So some of the women may have had a second vaccine, and that's how they got to that number. 
Okay. And so they, but they checked the breast milk before giving the vaccine and then after giving the vaccine. And then they compared it. And they were measuring actually two different things. The amount of the mRNA, so they weren't measuring the, the, grain, the, the, measuring the mRNA itself that was found in whole breast milk, but also within breast milk are called um, extracellular vesicles. Similar to like with the, um, what we we're talking about, the nanoparticles, but these are small vesicles that contain biologically important material, which can include micro mRNA. Okay. And so what they found of the 13 women, 20 exposures that trace messenger RNA was detected in 10 of those of, of the samples um, of the uh, uh, for the women. Um, and they were it was found for up to 45 hours, almost two days after the injection was given. It was appearing in the breast milk. OK, and, um, and what they were founding is that while it was in the whole milk, it was it was concentrated in these extracellular vesicles, these small transportation um, ma um, packages, if you will. Okay. Now, it is interesting also that the um, while the, um, the that neither the whole milk or the extracellular vesicles actually had the spike protein in it, it was just the mRNA. But of course, mRNA could then go elsewhere, enter into the cells, and then it could cause a similar type of um, spike protein production and then immune um, effects on that cell or that tissue where it was. Okay. Now, the researchers had some. Quite interesting interpretations here, and I'm going to share it to them in, in complete because it's a little bit of a mixed bag. But what they say is that the findings demonstrate that the COVID-19 messenger RNA vaccine is not confined to the injection site. Okay, kind of exhibiting that what we were told was not correct. Okay, they did find it was only trace quantity, so it wasn't like the whole amount. But of course, how would it be if it's injected into the arm? Only some of it's going to get to the breast, um, to the breast in the first place. Only some of that's going to be put into the breast milk, and of course, but all that's in the breast milk would go to the baby. Okay, um, so they really said that um, even though it was trace amount, um, they uh, and they say that it would be breastfeeding would be safe, but they really said after forty eight hours after vaccination. Nobody has been told that beforehand. No woman had ever been said, pump and dump your breast milk. Or, you know, maybe you want to wait until, you know, wait a little bit until your baby's breastfeeding a lot less. Maybe if it was done during the first month or two of life, none of that was part of the recommendations that at least ISP pediatricians was told that we should be um, counseling parents on. Um, but they also said this, that none, nevertheless, even though there was small amounts, minimum me messenger RNA vaccines to elicit an immune response has never been studied in children under six months of age, okay? So giving it, giving those, remember the, the research and even the recommendation now say give the vaccine over six months of age. So there's absolutely no research that says what does entering messenger RNA from this vaccine into a baby under six months of age, what might happen to them? We do not know, okay? Um, and they then went on to say that since it's unknown that a dialogue should happen between a breastfeeding person and um, the healthcare provider to weigh the benefits and risks to the baby, um, especially during those first two days after vaccination. So what is my take on all of this? Okay. First and foremost, why are we just learning about this now three years after the vaccine started? Right. It was to, it was to end of 2020 that the vaccine starts, you know, that we really started um, seeing it for the first people. And then by by January of the uh, of 20 of, of uh, 2021 is really when the masses were able to be given it. But OK, so at least two and a half years, nothing. Um, now, another question that I have is where is that messenger RNA going once it gets into the baby? 
right? The vaccine was never tested for oral use. The, where does that messenger RNA go? First thing it's going to hit what? Besides any, any um, it's going to hit the lining of the intestines, or at least the stomach. Might it cause some type of inflammation there? An, an immunological reaction, which of course brings inflammation. We do not know, right? Um, but also, again, the, 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 for any age group, the safety the um, was never tested for health effects for when the vaccine was swallowed. Because why? It was always injected. In my opinion, it was malfeasance for health officials, for vaccine manufacturers, not to do this type of research before telling breastfeeding women it was safe to do. It would have the, the re, this research could have been done by day number three of any exposure of anybody to vaccines and to, to women once they started doing this to see that they could have known that immediately and they did not. That's malfeasance. They should have, again, why do we have vaccine hesitancy? Because they did not give the information to people in order for them to make the best decisions. And when that happens, people may hear proper information, misinformation, but they have that information in their heads now because that's the information that they were able to find. How many women out there maybe would not have taken the vaccine if they didn't know that it was entering into their babies, especially the young ones? Of course, we'll never know this, right? And, you know, it's just, it's frustrating that here I am as a pediatrician trying to make the best recommendation that I can to a lactating woman for a child, for anybody. Of course, I see adults in my practice too. But for us to not be given the information, and so I am not able to provide the whole risk versus benefit, or at least the questions that could lead to that at this, at, in the beginning, I was not able to do my job. My job was hindered. It was um, not, I was not able to do as good of a job as I could have done if I had the right information. And that's frustrating. Anyways, hope you have a nice day.